Welcome to Getting Shit Done in Healthcare, where we interview high-performing people who are getting things done, affecting change and leading the evolution of care. We interview healthcare workers, entrepreneurs, investors, administrators to get their perspectives, strategies, tactics, and wisdom so you too can affect positive change. Follow us on Twitter at GSDIH or visit our website at GSDIH.com where we have links to our guests and backgrounds or follow Karen Horgan or myself, David Eigen, on LinkedIn. And please always feel free to provide value-added feedback. Welcome to Getting Shit Done in Healthcare, where Karen Horgan, my co-host, and I are trying to ferret out how healthcare works, how it's evolving, how to affect change or get shit done. We're approaching this from a case study perspective, and it's meant to be a roundtable discussion. And the first discussion today is around Conversa Health, which, full disclosure, I'm an investor in. Uh, and that's how I came to know Eric Feinstein in the first place, initially as a reference. Uh, and I met Wes probably the first time um, And along the way, um, Eric was the lead investor uh, one, if not two times, and has worked closely with uh, Zena Brown, who's the head of public health at Northwell, and amongst other roles, which I will let everyone, I will go around and ask you to introduce yourselves. And we have uh, Wes Shell and Phil Marshall, who are the founders, and Mary Brzezinski, who's been there most of the way and is the current CEO, uh, and an old friend of mine who we have a long history. Um, and I did interview uh, Murray back, I think, in May um, for another podcast. So with that, um, Zena, would love you to just give a quick background about yourself. Hey, thank you, David. Really happy to be here today. Um, so I am Dr. Zena Brown. I am the medical director for the care management organization for Northwell Health. Um, and I'm also vice president of population health. And what I do with the organization is partner with Northwell Health's value-based population health strategy. Um, so that's how I kind of got connected with Eric, which is around, you know, what are the new tools in this really emerging space in healthcare and how do we become sort of part of not just the utilization, but part of the the kind of the growth industry of um, that where Conversa sits. So, you know, that's kind of how population health got really aligned with Conversa from the very beginning. And Eric, since we're on Northwell, love a little background. I, yes, thanks. Thanks, David. Uh, Eric Feinstein, uh, I, I spent uh, over five years uh, at, at Northwell Health and in particular starting up and running the venture capital fund innovation of, uh, of the Northwell Health system. Uh, we, we've built a portfolio of, uh, of investments that range from medical devices to healthcare information technologies. Uh, and we look for companies that can really tripling. So how do we reduce costs? How do we increase quality? Uh, and then in fulfill sort of the strategic priorities of the um, mission-driven uh, nonprofit health system but also have the potential to be really impactful businesses uh, and, and venture-backable businesses. And it's the intersection of kind of those two things which don't always go hand in hand. Uh, and so when we looked to evaluate different technologies and, and, and companies, 
Well, we bring them to all of our subject matter experts. And, um, and Dr. Brown is really the subject matter expert when it comes to care management and population health. And so <clears throat> we had looked for uh, quite some time uh, around, around different population health modules. And, uh, and Conversa was one that I had come across uh, and was particularly struck, and I'll kind of save the, the background for, for why, but um, was particularly struck by, by the platform and the team and, uh, and the potential for it. And, um, and, and that's really the, the genesis. <clears throat> All right, um, Weston, Phil, we'd love you to sure. give, tell us uh, what Conversa started as, how you started it, and um, and then we'll bring it all the way up to the present. Right. I'll, let me, I'll uh, jump in real quick. So uh, Wes Shell, co-founder and executive chairman of uh, Conversa. And uh, Phil and I have um, started the company actually before we even started Conversa. We actually worked on this project when I was the CEO of Healthline and uh, recognized, and he was a, a, coming off of a long stint at WebMD, that uh, we needed to come up with something that was really connecting doctors and patients uh, in between visits and that we're really um, uh, innovating a way to be able to transform kind of how care delivery uh, happened because the uh, companies that we had before uh, just frankly were not delivering the health information services that were driving the behaviors that, that we thought was, um, was, was uh, available. So when um, uh, we were looking for a Series A, I was... Uh, lucky enough to meet Eric Feinstein, and he um, uh, understood our vision and got excited about it, uh, brought us um, uh, into, uh, into the Northwell uh, executive team. We had uh, Zena and, uh, and, and Joe Shulman, who's on our board, we're in that first meeting. And, and at the end of the day, this was four years ago now, we were about a two-year-old company. Uh, we've been on a path for four years working with them and refining our product and, and really developing the capabilities that now are, are putting us in a position where we're delivering automated virtual care at a level that's really uh, changing millions of people's lives. So I'll stop there and, and let Phil um, uh, illuminate a little bit more. Sure, yeah, thanks. Um, so, uh, so Phil Marshall, mm -hmm. co-founder and uh, chief strategy officer um, and uh, my background is I was trained in general surgery, um, but. Uh, almost 25 years ago, the bug had bitten for me in um, understanding how the internet could potentially be the game changer in healthcare to level the playing field, elevate patients as an equal partner in their care. And so um, I've devoted much of my career to that. Um, back in, um, in around 2012, um, had the idea that was uh, kind of an evolution, a pivot um, from a different uh, video technology. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, paired up with, paired up with West and, and we founded Conversa and, uh, the, um, the mission at that time remains the mission today. And that is to automate personalized conversations, to bridge that gap between visits and health providers understand exactly how their patients are doing using collaborative and continuous and proactive processes, which is a stark contrast, of course, from our episodic and reactive um, traditional processes of healthcare, and um, and we've been so fortunate. Um, well, Northwell, of course, um, has been a cornerstone um, of our um, 
of our great fortune uh, because of the like-mindedness of the great leaders there, Dr. Brown and Eric um, among them, and and um, that took a lot of that took a lot of faith um, for for you know ha- to have in a small company. But I think that the the vision, the background of the team, the technology that we'd already created were were a good fit. Um, we. You have to thread a lot of needles um, in order to even have a minimally viable product that, on the one hand, uh, is meaningful to the workflow of a provider, but also meaningful to a patient and easy to access. And all those things, the checkboxes that nobody even really thinks about. And uh, and so we've been we've been really fortunate to uh, have them with us as partners and moving along that continuum and and showcasing what the what the platform can do, um, not just for patients, not just providers, but really for healthcare and changing how we think about healthcare uh, into a model of uh, virtual care. So, um, yeah, just a little bit of background. David actually asked us to be very like, how did we actually get this done? So I, I will say, you know, you know, to Phil's point about having faith, I mean, there was certainly faith in that, but I also feel like Eric and our you were like, tell me if this thing is any good. Right. So there was also this sort of behind the scenes, like sort of subject matter expertise, like get in there, work with these people and tell me if, you, if, if there's any use of this thing at all, because we would like to do something with it. So I think sort of behind that faith was some of this, like you got to have someone get in there and really in, in a very real way, understand what these products are, what these products are not. So that when you then when Eric can say, hey, should, what's your opinion? Should we invest in this thing or not? you have a very strong position that he can then take to the money folks. I don't know, Eric, do you remember it that way or am I inventing your history? Uh, <laughs> no, I, it, there's uh, there's a lot of elements um, that, that went into, that went into the genesis of, of, of bringing Conversa into Northwell. And uh, I, I want to try it, try to say it succinctly. We, we look for products, and I think about healthcare since joining Northwell Ventures. And it's how do I, you know, how do I meet the patient where they need to be met? You know, the, the way that the health system is set up today, the way the healthcare landscape is set up, it, it's really designed for, you know, payment, reimbursement, and clinicians in mind. It's not set up for a patient. And with the Affordable Care Act kind of coming and all the, you know, all the commentary about you know shifting the patient to, to a positive patient experience and all of that. Pardon my French, but there's a lot of BS in that, in that statement. And when I look at Amazon and I look at Apple and I look at the way other industries have catered to uh, have catered to the consumer, healthcare should be doing the same thing. And I. I first saw the platform with West and Phil, you know, sitting in a conference room in Manhattan. And I said, wow, this is so simple. It looks just like a text message, a conversation, a medically, you know, relevant conversation that looks like a text message. Simple. That's exactly the way it should be. But the complexity behind that and the, the being able to trash, you know, quickly, you know, deep conversation. That's where, you know, Zena, we really needed to kind of dive in and say, hey, does this thing actually have legs? And is there use to it? Because this is fully automated. And can you have a fully automated conversation in a clinically relevant way? 
that was sort of the, the, the big question mark that I had. There are robots that send you text messages all the time, but no one ever uses them. No one ever engages. And we thought, can we create a communication pipeline with all of these separate sources of, you know, wearables and other elements that flow into it and create an enterprise grade pipeline for communication? I mean, can we do it? And can we do that in an automated way? Because if you can, you have dramatically changed the way we operate. And that that's an easier, you know, that's an easier statement than, than it is to actually accomplish in a bureaucratic, large health system. That's the thing that leave it in. How did we actually do that? <laughs> you bring up some really interesting points in terms of the, the hurdles and adoption. So I'm curious from this group, as you evolved or as you started working with Northwell, what were the hurdles you encountered to get people to to change, because this is provider change, this is team change, this is management change. The least change is yeah. actually on the consumer side. Like there is a lot about how to interact with the app, but that was probably the least of your issues. So I'm curious your thoughts on all of that. Well, you know, you have to go back four years. There's the word chat. The word chatbot was not even in our lexicon, well and so consumer, you know, and so the 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 leap of faith that Northwell had to take. And I remember right after that first meeting with Zena and Joe and about 10 other people, June Scarlett, the head of patient access services, they, they said, you know, this is exciting. It's a completely transformative way of thinking about managing a patient relationship. Um, but we need to think of the use cases. We need to figure out who are the clinical leaders that are going to, you know, help adopt this. We need to pilot it. Uh, there's a change management issue here that's taken four years for us to navigate the hallways and get the buy-in from all up and down the line and get the results that actually get people excited about trying to implement this on their service line. So it's been a uh, very iterative and uh, collaborative process that we've gone through. Uh, that's not had, it's had, it's had its pain. I mean, cause there, there is a, uh, it's a very bureaucratic, very large organization. It's the largest health system in New York. And, um, you know, it's taken leaders like Zena to be able to um, work with us and to get, get her colleagues to embrace this new technology and actually think about how we can start to change the workflow, how we can start to use new data to personalize the relationship with the patient. Um, and that takes a leap of faith. And it's been a it's been a fascinating process, really fascinating. And even, you know, Wes, that's so true. And just kind of getting into the, the actually sort of what where was the first step on that culture change or stop, which is, you know, you have to have deep understanding of your particular organization's cynicisms. Right. So Northwell has its own cultural set of like, this is stuff we don't believe. And this is the stuff that's important to us. And when you are partnering, that just becomes so important so that when you're trying to get allies, you understand the things not to say, the things that regardless of whether it's true, like if you go into a room, you're like, this is going to help with readmissions. It's like, that's not how readmissions work. Now you, you've lost up. We're, we're cynical to the nth degree on that. These <laughs> <laughs> places where it's like, listen, this is a tool that's going to help you do the things that you believe you do really well but it's going to help you do those things. And it's like, oh, our cynicism is very minimal when it comes to the things we do very well. So now we're all ears. Um, and about sort of other Dina, things that. What, it's what not to say. 
it, it's it's what not to say. How think about West Phil? Think about all the conversations around going to the right stakeholders as opposed to going to the wrong right. stakeholder in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. In a group of people that you know you are that understand the narrative in the story because you have to you have to step way back. Health systems designed for entrepreneurialism. Health systems are right. not set up to change. So you, you step back culturally, it's not just Northwell, it's not it's it's everywhere and there's a spectrum. I mean you've got a patient on the other side of that process. So there's good reason as to why you don't want to change. And there's all kinds of other, you know, reasons, you know, cultural reasons why, but you've got stakeholders that ultimately have never built the business. They've never spent a day inside of a startup where you've leveraged your 401k. You've got 30 days left. You don't know if you're going to make payroll. Health system administrators don't usually don't have a perspective like that. And that's, that was the bridge that I, I tried to provide is a, a unique perspective into the mind of an entrepreneur and a growing startup business. So it was about the partnership more than anything. The key thing, because we, you know, think about how many companies we evaluated. Eric, I think that's really important you're on, to you're, go back you're on. to. There we go. Karen, I think we can hear you. There's it. To what you said, talking to the right people versus the wrong people. And I'm curious, particularly from Wes, Murray, and Phil, how did you navigate who the right people are, which obviously are Eric and Zika, and who the wrong people are? And you know, how, how could you learn from that or, or help our listeners understand how to figure that out? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, uh, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, as they say. Um, and uh, and so here we had Eric that had introduced us to the health solutions um, group at Northwell. There you have strong leadership. You have value based, um, you know, uh, at risk um, financial models. Um, and so staying in touch with patients makes sense because you want to avoid those uh, those unnecessary visits and it's just inherent to to their entire their entire service line and and uh, and they happen to have a workflow tool that they had created they had complete ownership over there where it could be integrated in technically um, and and you could really do you know the entire loop and they were fully engaged to overview the entire logic and and all the all the content and so and so that you know, it was those unlikely ingredients, frankly, that um, that you know helped to to catapult us us forward, um, and and those are those are actually pretty unlikely uh, things. You know, I mean, we you know we have enough healthier experience. You know, I come from the provider side of things, ran products at Press Ganey before you know before all this years ago, and and understanding those financial models with the stakeholders and, you know, when they get up in the morning, what their drivers are and what those ROI models, I put an ROI model together years ago and shared it with, you know, with all the folks at, at Conversa where it had a hundred things that go into the readmission penalty. Right. So it's like, it's like, you know, as, as Dr. Brown was saying earlier, you know, you can't just go in and say, we're going to reduce readmissions like, and, <laughs> 
And <laughs> what you know? And do you understand what that means? And and uh, are you sure we're not going to be losing money on that little proposition of yours? And and uh, mm-hmm. and so and so we just happened to to get in at the the right at the right spot. I will say that as the service lines, um, as we talk with the service lines, you know, sometimes there's that financial alignment, sometimes not, but there's still that little bit of logic that says, if I stay in touch with my patients between visits, it's a good thing for everybody involved. It's just too logical to to pass up. It's a little bit like years ago and it's like, well, I guess we should store our records electronically. That's kind of logical, isn't it? Um, and eventually the world caught up to to supporting that financially. And that's, that's I think, now what, what, what we're seeing with regard to this kind of, of automated uh, virtual care technology. Yeah, and Phil, I, I want to. I think there's some another, something really important there around kind of the accountability on both sides to make this go, right? And and it, it's about sort of this structure of stating explicitly early where you think where is the alignment? Is this an alignment around a particular outcome? Is this a financial outcome? Is this no, no, no. Yes, it's good for patients, but we, we don't just, unfortunately, healthcare, we don't just always do things that are good for patients if there's not some real kind of solving. So I think that that diligence on both sides to come up with the alignment, that's the partnership also, because we did a lot of work around, you know, just brainstorming, hey, I am seeing the value here around staying tightly connected to patients asynchronously where I'm not going to tie up my workforce. What are the other argue- guys? You are in the business. You tell me what else is your tool good for, so that I can internally be making that case, and then also building my programs to prove it. And I think that that's another really important part of the discipline of launching new technologies, which is you have to build it such that you understand how and why it is performing. So you know, I think that's a big part. Yep. So between Gina and Phil, I think I'm hearing and Gina. there's a bit of luck in finding the right people, but it's also, it's finding the, uh, how you can collaborate together and recognizing that early on, you're all on the same page and you're working together, I think is really important, it is what I heard. But let's also be clear, it takes a, a, a lot of, it takes a lot of patience. We're, we're across 20 different service lines now. So the number of steps that we had to take, the number of stakeholders within each of those service lines that we had to relentlessly get in front of and present and convince and then bring their colleagues over to tell them, yes, indeed, this can have a transformative effect on your business was a huge investment in time and energy that we put and they put in the process. Uh, there's no shortcutting. I mean, to create uh, a new business within the healthcare system requires an enormous amount of tenacity on the, on the, on the part of the founding uh, members of the team and the par- people that they're partnering up with. So it's, um, uh, the, the, the health solutions was our, our beachhead, but, uh, to be able to expand effectively across the organization took four years of hard work. Well, I'll just, I'll and- just add. that we often inside Conversa talk about it being a ground game where it's really won by the yard. And our, our head of operations, Becky James, would be the first one to, to tell you that. And and uh, and so, yeah, that patience is key. Um, and the amount of you know money and time and, and all that that takes, um, it makes it 
I think I think Eric said it makes it unlikely for a startup to really align with the healthcare system because there's just so many differences in in how we approach things and and uh, the 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 long game is what a health system kind of is always playing is a uh, startup is trying to play you know trying to toss the hail marys and and uh, you're not going to win you're not going to win that way i mean i suppose some may get lucky uh, you, but uh, but you have to you have to uh, play the ground well, game. You know, it's an important point about building every every step of the way we always had the big vision the the you know the the end outcome and making sure that we were aligned with the administrative suite. So we had financial metrics, we had clinical metrics and then the big vision, but then, you know, that's like going from A to A to M and there's a lot of letters in between A to M, but you can't just jump from A to M. You have to A to B, B to C, C to D, and you have to go up that chain. But every step of the way, you have to constantly reiterate the the M and what what M actually is, and are we aligned on M? But you guys, as the startup, know how to how to get to A to B and then B to C, and then we help you get there. But you guys are actually the ones doing it, and that's the disconnect that I think I see it all the time with startup companies. Particularly, I'm going to say this that may offend some people, but non-healthcare oriented Silicon Valley companies that have never spent a day in healthcare as an operator, seen workflow and, and taught and understood sort of the cultural norms and values of, of a health system. They think I've got a better widget. I've got a better process. Just adopt it. Doesn't happen like that. You have, you have to do West. You have, like you said, you have to do the hard every day at each step. You guys are the operators we help enable you. And then if you can marry the two, that's when you get a, a, you know, a beautiful product at the end. But in any way, you can, you can go off the tracks. Murray, why don't you talk a little bit about how our team was really actually the, was the, one of the key reasons that Joe said, Joe Shulman said he, you guys chose us was the, the team and then how he's now orchestrating the team to deliver against your your objectives. Actually, Murray, before you go, I'm going to say one thing about this company, which struck out for me was you have a lot of very experienced people. Um, it's not the slick 25 year old dominated Silicon Valley company, not to pick on any company, but there there's a level of sophistication. And the other part, which I don't know that we'll really get back to is the quality of the board. picked and put together such that the board is very experienced, but collaborative and pushes management. And um, I, it's far and away the most impressive company I've come across uh, in four plus years of, of focusing almost solely on this industry. And with that, go ahead, Murray. Yeah. So <clears throat> thank you. I, um, you know, my background wise, by the way, I uh, been involved in, starting and helping to run probably six or seven companies, data-driven companies, and then uh, three in digital health before coming to Conversa and had the, you know, the great opportunity to work with West in the past and Phil. So I've known West for over 20 years, known Phil for over 10 years. So when I came to Conversa to help, help build Conversa and 
you know, capitalize on the vision that you just, you know, just heard about. Um, you know, I was honored to take over the company as CEO in um, the beginning of this year. And it's been a, a great partnership working with Phil and Wes to build on um, all the work that was done. I actually wish before I did that, I had the opportunity to sit down and watch a podcast with video like this. So I would have learned some things. Um, just some observations. I'll talk about the team. One is, you know, Northwell, the company would not be here without Northwell. And in many ways, we've learned a lot, everything you just talked about around how to engage with health systems from our experience with Northwell. But the flip side is we can't use the Northwell template. Now we have 30 customers and there's no way we could work that closely and that intimately with every health system. And so to Eric and Zena's point, understanding the culture and understanding what not to say, understanding what the measures are. Not everybody is in the same, you know, everybody's, you know, one foot in, you know, uh, uh, fee-for-service and value-based very differently. All the contracts are different. So understanding and navigating all that is very bespoke and custom, and you can't build a scalable business if you're going to build custom solutions for every health system. So what we had to learn to do, and this gets to the experience of the team, is take all the learnings that we had with Northwell, think of Northwell more as a development partner, and say, we're going to continue to work with Northwell the way we do because they are a partner. They're part of the company. But when we work with others, they need to see it as we're providing custom solutions, but we need to deliver it as if we're delivering configurable solutions. So increasingly what we're trying to do as a company to scale is try to understand what are the patterns, right? What's the universe of solutions our platform can deliver? We need to present it to the health systems that it, it solves their problems and needs to solve their individual problems. It needs to be designed against the metrics that matter to them. Like Zena said, some, you know, some are really focused on readmission. They're in a full uh, risk situation. They measure it very differently than if, you know, you're focused on, you know, different metrics. Um, but we need to be able to develop, launch and operate in a way that we can support a business and have a margin to allow us to reinvest in everybody's success. So that gets full circle to the team. And, you know, West and Phil had this philosophy early on, even as a startup, Let's overinvest on the team. So it looked top heavy when the company was younger and we have a mature team that's helped us get to where we are. And it's the same team that's going to lead us into the future. So a lot of experience in operations still brought up. Um, Becky James, who runs our operations, our deployments. We've got a lot of maturity with Chris Edwards around managing our customer success and really understanding how do we partner? His whole team's role is to understand and sit down and understand the problems and the strategies that health system is dealing with. And we're in a support role. We're always coming in saying we're part of a broader problem set that's being solved. How do we plug in there? And let's be honest, we don't solve every problem. Let's be focused on the problems we can help solve. Um, we have a lot of maturity on the financial side with Todd Grant, who runs our finances. And again, we're thinking about how do we have a sustainable model that allows us to reinvest in the success of our uh, health system partners. Um, and then we have a phenomenal, um, Kind of technology that joined us a little over a year ago, um, and that was a big change. Actually, we made a change from uh, technology leadership at a time that was difficult to make the change, but we needed to do it so that you know, in healthcare more than anywhere else, he, he talks about. If he were here, he talked about we're being entrusted with the sanctity of your patient's data, right? Your health system's patient's data, and so we have to be innovative and drive all this communication and and point to outcomes that we're delivering. But at the end of the day. None of that's going to matter if you can't trust that we can manage this data and make it secure and make it private and 
you know, scale and keep the system up 24 by seven with hundred percent availability. So those are all the things that we, you know, there are, there are things he talks about sort of under the waterline, nobody sees them, but you do see them if you don't focus on them. And I think we've excelled as a business because we've really focused on Derek and all the hard work every day that nobody sees, but you, you'll see it if we don't do it. And so I couldn't be prouder of the team. And, you know, I'm thrilled that uh, Phil and West have entrusted me to, take the leadership uh, role to the next uh, the next level here. And Murray, yeah, so if I could is sing the your exact pieces. reason why we Yeah. It, go ahead, Zena. That, that's Zena. the exact reason why we invested because of that team. Yeah. A, a really like a very real world example of really what you're, I mean, you talked about the sanctity of the patient data, the sanctity of sort of the business. But there's also this other sanctity, which is of your end users, your employees. And because you had such a mature team, teams they get feedback from the team. And then we talked about culture change. Bring those tools that change the culture of the business. And I'm talking the end because if the end users are not on board, you can have C-suite loving this thing, thinking this is the best investment ever. But the people have to do something different. So not only did your team bring all the technical solutions, all of the you know sort of product solutions, but also brought this whole other you know. And and we did some of this learning together, but it at the end of it, it was like whoa. This got very powerful very quickly in terms of, you know, really managing the sanctity of the employee relationship, too, and getting them to feel like what a great organization I work for, that they're empowering me with this tool. So I, I, I just the team is fantastic. And I think that is another piece of technology that gets so easily forgotten. Which is like, uh, there's a person on the end of this technology that has a day job. And how, how are we how are we supporting that? Um, and not just being some additional burden that ultimately, because we're in it for the long haul. And and it's just been a real thrill to build things with your team that are for the long haul. Can, can I ask a slightly, and Zena, I'd like to start with you. And I, I don't know if it's easy to answer, but what is the threshold um, that a company like Conversa or other needs to hit for you to say, you know, yes, we, you know, I'm willing to get behind this. And you talked a little bit about pieces of it earlier, but I'm just trying to understand. And Eric too, and because you know, you know, you had to go pitch all the different groups and, and Wes, you referred to the meeting with yeah. 10 people, like how do you, you know, what does it require to get that kind of audience inside a health system with something, presumably you hadn't invested yet. Maybe you just had, but I don't think so. Like what, and then Zena, you know, like you to go first. Like, what is that threshold? What do you need to do to get to penetrate? I mean, I think we talked, hit on it a little bit earlier. I think it, it starts. It can't start with the technology. It has to start with a thing you are trying to do, not necessarily a problem, but any kind of opportunity. Um, because if you can't wrap your head around like where, what is, how does this make things better? How does this make the world a better place? And then the second big threshold, and Eric, you and I talked a lot about this in those early days, is, is this something that, you know, we're Northwell, we think, we think of ourselves as pretty unique, but like, could anyone else in the nation use this? And very quickly, we're like, yeah, anybody could use this, right? If we work with them in solving some of these big ticket items, they should, th this is going to position them because any hospital can use this, not just big integrated healthcare systems, people who are in value-based, people who are not in value-based. 
this can do all of those things. So that's, that's like the big sort of threshold, which is like, is this niche or is this like really widely applicable in lots of different use cases? And it was clear very early that, that Conversa hit all those kind of targets. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad to I'm glad to hear you say that. That's that's really flattering. I, we it really was the philosophy from from day one, um, and this is this is one of those things. It's a design philosophy, you know. It's a um, there are lots of folks who can probably go in and create the tool for this topic or the tool for that topic, or but to to actually think about this as an extensible, flexible platform that can be applied towards um, any use case or a combination of them, you know, modular personalized profile driven you know all those things um we're we've been we've been fortunate to make some bets early on um even from our very first tiny little implementation of the daniel primary care clinic it was ehr integrated from day one in 2014 and um and so we you know we were fortunate to to think through a lot of those design philosophies to help achieve what what uh, zini you were just talking about I think about companies and in, in good investments in particular and good partnerships have to hit on, they, they can't do one thing well. That's not good enough, particularly in healthcare. You have to do a lot of things well. And Conversa wasn't perfect when we invested. And that was the point of the partnership. It was how do we take a very good high potential, and and that includes capital, it includes product, it includes all of the assets of of the company, and how do we accelerate and supercharge it, and and build not just a product that fits Northwell's needs because that's that's not that wasn't my role and my job. My job was to build, you know help build companies that have broad applicability. And how can we use our assets of clinicians, matter experts, to continue to build product? Because that's really what we're good at. We're good at building product, delivering care. External companies are very good at building technology. I mean, we we like to think that we're technology folks, but we're not. We have some technology. External can do that more effectively, more efficiently. So let's marry the two and create a best of breed solution. So we have human capital, we have financial, we have product. Um, and the, the most important point, which I've already stated, was the team. So West and Phil, that we had Zena, we had conversations early on around is this a team that we want to and can we partner with them? Because it's not always about the Northwell way. It's about, you know, the combination of good clinical practice with, you know, moving quickly in a startup environment. And then the addition of Murray and the addition of all of these folks just accelerated and, and created a really healthcare oriented uh, uh, team. Let me so turn can I just say one thing? So let me turn it on the other way, which is you guys are looking for startups that you can really um, embrace. Uh, when you're a young company, a couple of years old, 
you're known by the part the companies that you keep, the company you keep and picking a partner at the beginning is the most important thing. It's your team, then your partner, then your investors and you, and your board obviously is part and parcel of that. So uh, getting all those stakeholders right is absolutely critical. And so Northwell, and I would suggest any entrepreneur that's listening to this, uh, being able to identify partners that uh, have the, the key characteristics that give you a great opportunity for success. Are they innovative? Do they actually think about the industry? Do they have a place in the industry that has respect, but also have uh, the infrastructure in place to be able to take that influence and help spread your, your, your uh, joint relationship out into the marketplace is vital. And the health solutions group in particular had a vision of being able to uh, innovate on care delivery and then start to influence and, and make it take broadly outside the, the geography just in, in, um, in New York. So that, that mindset then having the, the uh, people in the innovation team, the people in the venture capital side, uh, the clinical uh, leadership that all embraces uh, that kind of innovation yeah. is, a, is very, very important as you select who you want to spend that kind of energy and time and money on. Wes, I think that's really important as you highlight yeah. the team, the partner, yeah. all are critical. And so I'm curious from Wes, Murray, Phil, when do you know the company was actually going to make it? Like, was there a dinner that was there a meeting you walked out of that you did a high five or that you, I know we're always constantly wanting to still come Karen, up, I can. What was that moment when you're like, I, I can answer that question. Uh, uh, it's pretty um, clear. It's when the moderator of a podcast. I'm I'm getting the moderator of a podcast. After every every company dinner pre COVID, the wine was so good that we always left there thinking the company had made it. But other than that, right. yeah, right. we were we were kidding ourselves. Karen, you, you know you've made it when the moderator of a podcast asked you. Um, when did you know you've made it? As if that was past tense. Uh, and so that, that, was, that was very encouraging. I'm opening up a bottle of champagne right now as a result of that question. <laughs> actually, just to add to that, it, it, obviously we're joking, but if any of us actually answered it in the past tense, then I'd start to worry. We need to be paranoid. Exactly. I mean, I, just, I was surprised by it being past tense. That's awesome. Well, the, the, well, this is like a Tony Robbins thing. If you believe it, it will be true or something. So, um, so, so then what is it that keeps you but, awake at night? If you if you don't feel can, like you know that, what keeps you awake? Can I just can I can I just uh, uh, put a little finer point on your question? Uh, you know, clearly we've had lots of ups and downs. You know, we've raised a lot of money, we've burnt, spent a lot of money, uh, and so there's there's um, moments in time during this $33 million that we have, we have raised where we didn't know, I didn't know whether we were going to make it. I believed we would, but I can tell you that, uh, and one of the reasons why we gave the reins over to Murray uh, is when the pandemic hit, we, um, we knew this was, this was going to be part of the future of healthcare. We just didn't know what was going to be the catalyst to drive the acceleration uh, of the adoption. And the pandemic has done just that. So I can tell you personally when I saw our business, we thought we were very foreboding the, what, what the pandemic was going to mean for our customers and ultimately for us, uh, as we recognized that the only way to build capacity was to do it virtually, and that all of our customers all of a sudden started really quickly adopting and, and breaking down the decision-making process so that they could, they could truly apply us against their business more broadly, 
that's when it became very clear that not only were we going to succeed, we were going to be an enormous success. Um, and that's only been in the last 10 months, whatever. Uh, and so I can tell you right now, we, we're growing 5x this year, right? Uh, that's pretty good. And, um, and, and so I've watched Murray kind of galvanize this company and really allow us to um, uh, deliver against customers and start pivoting and accelerating our, our solutions development process with Phil's, uh, Phil's uh, involvement very deeply. And it's just been, it's just been fantastic. And it's, you know, the pandemic has been very good for our business, frankly. I hate to say that, but it's true because it just put in relief. Uh, how broken the healthcare system was before this, and it's put in relief kind of the 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 leverage that our our virtual care platform can have uh, on our customers. Yeah, business. if I if I could, I'll I'll just add um, some examples. Um, COVID, what it represented was okay. So we had this relationship with Northwell, Dr. Brown, and Health Solutions Group. You know, have some big, pretty hefty deployments. And then COVID hits, Northwell has a situation where they need to deliver all these lab test results and these antibody results. And, you know, the patient portal utilization is low, so that's really not a viable route forward for the masses. And so they need a frictionless uh, way that could be stood up in a matter of hours, uh, if possible, you know, or a few days at the very least. And and we we had that platform. We had that extensible platform that could take that that laboratory test result data stored in the profile of the individual, trigger the notification, deliver not just a test result, deliver an experience that allowed that individual to know what to do now that they're positive um, and, you know, how to isolate, who to isolate, you know, all of that information that just kind of goes by the wayside with most delivery of information. And so that, I think, was just one example of several um, where we showed it's not just these big, heavy, hefty um difficult to implement kind of scenarios, but we can do things quickly and effectively um, when, when push comes to shove. And so I think COVID proved that we had, we had some other, you know, capabilities there. Can I, can I add a point to that? Cause it's, uh, I agree with both what Wes and Phil said, but it's, it's obvious looking backward that we, you know, we really harnessed um, the opportunity to help and, you know, we've had an act of growth and, and, and are really excited. But when COVID hit, we had very, we're very increasingly becoming very data driven in our decisions. And when COVID hit, it was like, you know, we had our plan just locked for the year and then someone shut off the lights, right? We had, we really had no data and it wasn't clear what to do at all. In fact, Eric, you probably know this, the Sequoia letter went out, right? The venture firm that basically to all of their, we did this once before the financial crisis and said, Number one, everybody, CEOs, preserve cash. Cut your workforce, hunker down, and let's figure out what's happening because you don't know what COVID is. And so we got the same advice from a lot of people. And we got together with very little data, Phil and Wes and I, and we said, we, we can't see, we don't have a light, but we have our North Star, which are our values and our mission. And we're in healthcare and we have an extent, a, a platform that's flexible so we think we should go all in on COVID. It wasn't something you could decide to just do halfway. You had to say we're going to commit. And we had headwinds and tailwinds because the first thing that happened was all the elective procedures were shut down. And some of our most successful programs like colonoscopy were shut down. So one, we weren't able to provide those. A lot of revenue was you know, not there. And we, when we called new health systems, nobody could talk about anything but COVID. If you remember back in March, you guys, Northwell, lived it more than anybody. But people were telling us, listen, 
we're trying to make a decision as whether we can pay you for what you did for us last month or buy a ventilator. So we can't talk about anything right now. And so we just said we have to jump into COVID. So we partnered with Northwell, as Phil said, on lab results. We partnered with UCSF Health on um, a daily screener for healthcare workers because San Francisco's health department was the first in the country to, to mandate it on March 11th. And we launched on March 19th this program, day and night, working through to create this product. We worked with UNC Health uh, and then with Xena also on a quarantine program. We've worked on mental health programs related specifically to COVID. So the, the, the points were, one, very uncertain. Two, we, we had to rely on just the, the North Star and our mission. We turned to all of our partners and said, what do you need? Let's work together. So that's, that's the example of Northwell. And then we did it with other health systems. And then to Phil's point, we were able to deliver, um, you know, because of the team. And so we, we delivered, but looking back on it, we made some, and we made some decisions that weren't right, but by and large, they were very good decisions that put us in a very good position where I think we would all answer your question, Karen, if we weren't joking about it, that we, you know, we think we're over the hump, but it, it really wasn't clear. It certainly wasn't clear to me back in March that that was the case. We, we, this could have been a bet and it didn't work out the right way. We had to really rely on the character of the people and just making the right decisions. And in fact, we didn't even have a pricing model for COVID. We, we innovated there too. We said, let's just do it, which very rare to do that. And then we'll come up with a way to make sure that we can support it financially. So we actually said, we're a small company. We can only work with existing customers. So join us, subscribe to our platform, and then you can use any of our COVID programs. And when COVID is not the only thing you're thinking about, let's talk about our other automated virtual care programs. So we acquired almost all of our new customers between March and now by them joining the company. And then we provided them any number of COVID programs they wanted rather than trying to sell COVID, which was not really the right way to, to, to position it in the market. So, so did, did all three of you agree on this path with the same equal fervor or was there initial dissent or how did it? Well, I can tell you from my perspective, the three of us did and we galvanized the company. There were definitely, you know, in, especially on the investor side, differences of opinion um, because it was unclear, even at the board, differences of opinion, but everybody sort of had their say and then commit. The one great thing about this company is it's like Jeff Bezos, disagree and commit. We have, you know, we fight it out, but then everybody commits to whatever we decide to do. So that comes back to what Wes said earlier. You need the right team and the right partner and the right investors. So when you are in a crisis mode and there is no precedence to make decisions on, we can't say, oh, well, what happened years ago? Maybe there's the financial crisis, but they're different. Right. In healthcare, and COVID hit the healthcare system very differently than it hit the restaurants or the bars or other or the banks. It's exactly, exactly right. right. Certainly in the Northeast, but I'm I'm going to invert Eric's role right now because Eric had an eye problem this summer and wound up being in Conversa as a patient, and I'd love to hear your perspective it's not this thing as hippo or phi in this podcast we put it apparently <laughs> it's all out the window at this point <laughs> i've gotten to know eric pretty well now close as i've seen him come to being you know seeing a grown man cry when when he saw it all come work um so i i'd love to hear just your your perspective on that because i don't know this story this would be interesting <laughs> even i know this yeah. story, yeah. so <laughs> i have no idea what we're this, talking this about this was an amazing it was an amazing thing. I, um, you know, we, this goes back over four years and it was, you know, this 
big vision around how do we change healthcare and how do we, you know, how do we do all the things that we've already talked about in the beginning of in the beginning of the program? How do we simplify it? How, you know, how do we do all of this? Well, let's find the right partner. Let's develop a, a better communication platform. Let's log in, you know, simply. And and Phil, you'll appreciate this comment. You know, we had fights early on around, you know, double sign in, triple sign in. And, you know, I lost my password and all the things that happen today. Right. In health. The BS. Triple sign in. We didn't even have cloud. Right. I mean, all of these problems affect engagement. And and I said, wipe all that away. That was four and a half years ago. We create this product. We work on development. And then there's scaling. And then there's COVID. <laughs> and <clears throat> all of these ups and downs. I had a personal I had a personal situation where I lost my my vision. And I I had to be you know, I went in for emergency surgery and I um, I had to be COVID tested and I, I went into the hospital and I came back. And this is quite literally like in the darkest psychological time when I didn't know if I was going to have vision return to my uh, my, my eye. And uh, it was it was a scary time. And I came back and I was I get an email um, from and it's from and my personal email address. And I said, oh, that's kind of funny. And it said, you know the hospital, you know, sent you, sent you a note and it said conversa. And I said, Oh, it must be just another conversa chat that I always, that I always get. And so I always click on it as the good investor would. I, I click on it and I open it up and it says, log in to see your COVID results. And I click on it and it was exactly the way I envisioned four and a half years ago. It was a click I get, and it opened up the communication you know platform and i went through it just as a normal patient would not even thinking about it i got my results right then and there it opened and it was just a thing of beauty and i and i was in such a bad psychological state that i didn't even think about it got it as a patient i had i I called you know I, i called some of the folks here and i said you guys will not believe I just experienced it full circle as a patient <laughs> from investment to development. And now as a patient, full circle. And it was like, it, it was an amazing time. Oh, and it makes great. it all worth it. it. it frankly, it makes so, so I'd like to maybe, you know, and, and by any means, if someone has something that they think is, is important, please, but, this has all been a lot of kind of looking back how it got ado- adopted. I, I'd love you all to kind of put your forward looking hat on a little and how you see things changing and what you think, um, you know, and Zena for you in particular being on the front lines, what, what you see that is a, a permanent change perhaps in the adaption of new technology, the, um, you know, Murray, what's happened on the, you know, really on the front line of business? How, how is, is it picking up contract signing or people like rapidly embracing and, you know, you know, how is, is everything going to keep accelerating based on the patterns you're seeing? So Zena, maybe you start, lo- love to hear what you're seeing on the front line because you're now having this second wave as well. So it may get a little murky. I don't, I'm curious. 
Yeah, you know, and I mean, I know everyone on the panel is going to have a lot to say about this uh, because it, it is where we are all thinking right now. And, you know, right now, the experience that Northwell's had, you know, during the pandemic and now as we're seeing cases rise, that is underscoring two sort of main ideas for us. Um, one is all of these things that if we had any notion that there was going to be like an end, there isn't. So the thinking really is not just, okay, COVID and the end of COVID, but like the next pandemic or the next thing or the next national disaster, making sure we are hardwiring what worked here. So Eric, to your point exactly, it's like, hey, this is the way. And combining that with this other idea, which is, and it's so cliche now to say it, but I'm gonna say it anyway, like the toothpaste is not going back into the toothpaste tube. And no one, at this point, I mean, I'm just saying, whoever's listening to this podcast, no one can expect patients to want to go back to the old way. Um, all of these sort of all the inventiveness that came with COVID really demonstrated the demand that I think when we go back to the four and a half years ago or five years, it's like, no, the patients are going to want this. And it's like, I don't know that, you know, I mean, I knew that I was I was a believer, but most people say, well, I don't know if the patients are going to use this or they're going to find this value add. That's it. That proof is in the pudding. All these patients are using this tech. They like it. Not all of them, but you know you have a continuum of things that you can do and do effectively through this kind of technology. So I think it really becomes about how do looking forward, how do we not ever go back and just build on these successes as they specifically relate to how we are engaging patients. Yeah, I think the the broader opportunity, if you look at uh, all the various now uh, being able to uh, deploy against is ultimately having the health systems think about managing that patient relationship longitudinally so that regardless of what uh, particular health issue they have, we're, they're helping them navigate that journey. And, and communication is the centerpiece to that. So being able to actually take the of profile of the patient and have that manifest itself into an ongoing relationship, which frankly has not been the way we look at healthcare. It's been very episodic and very visit centric. And now it's very much uh, from our perspective, one that's, that's much more continuous and data driven. That's going to be a big change because ultimately then the relationship between the patient and the care teams are going to be something that you just take for granted. Um, and, and it's just part of how you live your life. And I think that's the, that's the real, you know, step force that, that we'll all get to here in the, hopefully in the next couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's, good about, to, oh, go it's good to start with a foundation of it all being very logical, right? <laughs> there's, there's nobody who looks at staying in touch between visits or having automated outreach that's very personalized to the individual, just the right time asking and saying just the right thing is not logical. Uh, the technology's there, makes sense, there's a relationship that should be done that that improves care improves outcomes improves costs the the other challenge though is to align that logic with how healthcare is actually paid for and so it's something i'm turning my attention right. to because it can't just be these isolated pockets of value based care where you have extreme at risk you know contracts it 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 has to be a transformation of the entire healthcare system so we have to parlay that logical aspect of it into actually supporting providers and being able to utilize this this technology. Um, it's something we, we call automated virtual care. We think it's a logical extension of the telehealth e-visit remote patient monitoring continuum. Um, but there's still 
um, a gap of of solid uh, reimbursement for providers to deploy that kind of technology. It's kind of hit or miss. And so we're going to continue to work with partners like like Northwell to make sure that we we pave that future very clearly based on on the key experiences that we've had. So as you think about the behavior change and adoption, I heard you both just mentioned you've got the providers, you've got the patients. How do you, where do you think the biggest um, hurdles to people wanting to use this is that you've got to get the providers to recognize their patients are going to be communicated to differently? Because it sounds like the patients are just defaulted in and they just receive this email and suddenly they start using it. Or how do you see no. the rollout? It's a good question, Karen. So linking that to David's point about kind of where we see the the future. So COVID, you know, as Wes said and Phil said, it it really accelerated just like we did with telehealth. So everybody was forced to use the technology. And I'll just give you some interesting examples from our, uh, and and by the way, it's gone back. I, I know, you know, it's lumpy in terms of different health systems experience, but you know, we've talked to a lot of health systems where it went from, you know, 2% utilization. This is telehealth up to you know 60 in some cases 100 and then it went actually down further than people thought as you know covid kind of waned it, you know the regression to the mean the lower mean that people thought and it's kind of lumpy and it's unclear where it nets out but you know from our perspective we have less penetration but those who've experienced it patients who've experienced it love it and and phil's done a phenomenal job of designing it so there's very low friction and so it's very easy to use the big thing for us with covid was because we had so many health systems use our daily health check for their healthcare workers, they got direct experience using it as a user, just like Eric did as a patient. And so now when we when we actually are talking to different service lines, the head of that service line or the providers in those service lines, when we're explaining it to them, they'll say, oh, wait a minute, is it the same user experience that I have when I go to work every day? And so that's very, very interesting. And they adopt it more quickly. So I think adoption, usage, familiarity, consumerism, all that's been accelerated with, um, with COVID. And then, you know, Phil talked about the vision before, you know, the mission hasn't changed at all, but the, the work of doing more and more integrations, Eric talked about this too, so we can accommodate more patient data, right? Because really what we're doing, if you think about it at a very high level, is we are reducing variability of care by digitizing uh, evidence-based pathways but we're absolutely increasing the variability of the experience, which is what personalization is. And the only way you can do that is to work very closely with the health system to say, how do we deliver care, get your care plans, make sure they're evidence-based, work with clinicians, highly trusted, but then have all of the data connectivity into the EMR, into the remote patient monitoring devices, into CRM systems, and, and then, of course, the chat component of it to pull as much data as possible so that we each have a very unique personalized experience, which is where you get the high engagement. So if people engage, then our system can help drive and change behavior. And that's where we get the outcomes. And then to Phil's point, the more outcomes that we can start to show and prove, which is kind of the stage we're in now, we're starting to really showcase the rigor of the outcomes. That's super helpful in us and Phil making the case that reimbursement should really change to support these systems directly. Right now we have to exist in the current reimbursement environment, but really in the future, systems should be reimbursed for spending less time, for automating all of these processes. Everybody can practice at the top of their licenses. And the, you know, and the vision then is everybody should be walking around with a virtual health assistant that's tied to a health systems platform that's super duper smart about making decisions about when we can automate you, you know, keep you on an automated care path. So we reduce cost and keep great experience and identify earlier and earlier how we get you to the next level of care 
with more and more smarts around this data that we're collecting. Great. Yeah, that's well, you know, I'd love to ask everyone. We're we're going to start wrapping up, so I'd love to ask um, anyone if they have anything that they really would like to share. Um, and if not, not. <laughs> so, um, Eric, do you have anything? One, yeah, I, I have one thing just to say in sort of, I, if people listening to this think that, you know, building a business is, is easy, um, well, <laughs> they're sorely mistaken because it, it takes an incredible team, uh, an incredible team working together, not individually, but together to, to build something. And, and, Surrounding yourself with varying perspectives and opinions is absolutely crucial. And I, I, everyone, I'm sure everyone on this call, and as Murray described during COVID, the board and investors and people didn't always agree. But it's crucial that you get in the biggest, I think, biggest hurdle actually getting shit done in healthcare is about finding congruence with all of these diverse perspectives and stakeholders. And, and you have to have the right people around the table with, in diversity of perspective to thread that needle, as Phil described, because everyone, every stakeholder has a different set of incentives. And, and then tied to that, you have to have urgency. I mean, before COVID, there was complacency around why, why See, you mentioned it before. Do patients, will they really use it? I think ev I think everyone on this call would say, yeah, I, I would love to be met, you know, at my house and have a clinically, a real clinical conversation. But clinicians, they may say, well, you know, it's not going to be clinically robust or the IT security people are going to say, well, it's not HIPAA compliant or there's a million reasons why not to do it. But there has to be some catalyst and some sense of urgency for, you know, why, why do you do it? COVID was that catalyst created urgency on both the provider side, the managed care side, the patient side created some catalyst. Put a strong foundation. You got to You have to be able to capital time arise. Well, I, I actually wrote something in the corner of one of my notes where I wrote relentless persistence. <laughs> this is a team that has it uh, across on both sides. And so uh, Wes, yep. Murray, Phil, and Eric and Zena, thank you. Uh, Karen, obviously, thank you. Uh, and um, and we're going to let everyone go about their day. I think, Zena, you need to go save a few lives right now, right? <laughs> Or make them better, one or the other. <laughs> Both. Thank you, everyone. The rest of us will go back yeah. to try to support you. Thank All right, you. well, thank you, everyone.